Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Patricia, whereabouts in the world are you today? So I live right outside of New York City in central New Jersey. Although if you ask me a question, I always tell people I'm a New Yorker because once you're born there, grow up there, I'm just a New Yorker living in the suburbs. Nah, that's cool. Very, very cool. Well, you're in New York. I'm in New Zealand. And so we've got the news, New York, New Zealand. We've got (laughs) both of us here and we're underway. And so you are the Global Chief Commercial Officer at MindMaze. What I'd like you to do is just tell our listeners a little bit about that organization, what you do, but also is there anything about your background you might like to share with us? So my background is very eclectic. And, you know, I think anybody's journey, if you sometimes just go with the flow, it can be a little eclectic. So I am the only person in my family to go to college. So I went to college, State University in New York. It was not on anybody's blueprint. My parents never even thought about college. My two brothers didn't go to college, but I was bound and determined. So I went to one of the state universities in New York because really that's all I could afford. So I went there to undergraduate school, studied economics, came home and decided, you know, that I was going to try my, my spin at Wall Street because anybody who grows up in New York City stares at the big city, thinks that they want to be in finance. I did. I did actually go work on Wall Street down uh, Water Street, to be specific, but worked down there for one of the large financial firms. And then I realized that it was very difficult. I didn't have the right connections, family connections, to make it at that time, because this is, this is many years ago, and it was a different structured industry at that point in time. And so I decided I was going to have to be different. I had the luck of having a friend who was a couple years older than me, who made a suggestion that I apply to UPS's management training program, which is United Parcel Service is a global company. They're in transportation and logistics. She said the only, the only thing was I was going to have to drive a truck in New York City as part of their management training program. And was I going to be okay with that? And <laughs> I was young and stupid. And I said, sure, no problem. I will do that, which I did. So I left Wall Street. I was at Lehman Brothers at the time. I left there and really it was, you know, you have to decide at some point, even when you're young, if they don't let you follow the path that you want to take, you have to make that bold decision to take a different path. And no matter what, you don't know what that's going to be. I just decided that no matter what, nobody would look at me the same if I drove a truck in Manhattan. So I was going to roll the dice and do it. I will not say I was a very good driver. I stunk at it. And of course, the UPS, my first day on the job, made me go deliver a package back to my old office, was a, which of course was humiliating, but I did it, smiled and kept going. Did that for a number of years, wound up starting up their logistics business, which was helping people re- rebuild factories and do plans and all that kind of fun stuff. But 
the point of that was it was a springboard and I wound up just rolling the dice again. After that, decided I didn't want to stay in transportation and logistics. So I went to work in pharmaceuticals selling because I had worked as a pharmacy tech during the summers. Was not a pharmacist, just figured I knew enough and was not afraid. So I did that. Then I applied to grad school and actually had to find a job that was going to let me take classes during the week. So I wound up getting into startups and startups are wild. I worked in AI for cancer detection before it was even a thing, before clouds existed and, and all of that. And it was using neural nets to detect abnormal cells in a way that the human eye could not detect them. And it was so much fun, but you went through the IPO process and success and failures and acquisitions and all of that. I decided then I needed some stability in my life. And I wound up going back into pharmaceuticals for a company called Novo Nordisk and actually then spent 18 years at Novo Nordisk working my way through, through that. Came in as a regional director, running a team, and then just worked my way up through different parts of that commercial organization in all aspects of, of healthcare and biotech and pharmaceuticals. So having led sales teams, small teams, then bigger teams, then bigger teams, then pitching new businesses to the company, being shocked when they gave me money to start it up. I got $18 million seed money for them to start a new business unit within the company and wound up with the whole kit and caboodle with, with a sales team, a field force, an operations team, a marketing team. But then, you know, got the bump like many people did in a company when a CEO changes, got bumped out with the old regime. And then I had to start all over again and figure out what I wanted to be. And then I decided that no matter what, I was not going to do the same thing again. So I worked with boards in kind of the executive search re arena for helping people set up boards and other high-level things because I knew a lot about executive leaders at that point in time. Mm. And then I got pulled back into digital health through somebody I knew who thought I would be a perfect fit for a new digital healthcare company that needed to understand how pharma companies were organized. And I knew that, quite frankly, I didn't know anything about digital health. I was not an expert, but I was an expert at the inside workings of a pharma and biotech company. So I used that platform to learn that side of the business and have been in it ever since. So wow. worked for a company called Huma, which I still am an advisor and admire that company. So I, I stayed on as an advisor for them, but then stepped over to MindMaze to lead their global initiative for their go-to-market strategy. And, and I understand that's around neurotechnology and digital therapeutics. Is that, is that right? Yeah. It's really about unlocking the brain's potential to repair, to restore itself, and to maximize performance, whether that be a patient who has a stroke, who has an incident, yep. and you help the body repair itself, and then also try to maximize that performance of that patient. But it can be used on anything from patients to athletes. So we do things with stroke patients, Parkinson's, MS, and also we work with Formula One racers. Ah, mm, very yeah. good. Some fun yeah. stuff in there. Science yeah. has its positives, even in sports. Formula One races. Yeah, I actually was in Dallas prior to Michael Schumacher having Ooh. his his issue incident, and I saw him, and I was like, "Oh, I should get a photo with him." And I thought, "Oh no, don't be, don't be, don't ah, leave him alone." The poor guy probably gets asked everyone. And then after that, that's when he had his accidents. Like accidents. Like oh no. Yeah, and you know what? I was telling you before about the, the tumor that I had, and when I had that removed, the doctor said to me that, because it was on the nerve of the of the vocal cord, and he said to me it was sort of munton, but the brain will work it out. And the brain is such a such a fantastic, amazing kind of tool, I call it, or machine, 
that is really amazing to see what it does, right? And uh, well, what you're working on for the, and the team sounds very, very exciting. Now, you know, when you talked about the pieces around going into different leadership roles, what actually made, what sort of got you into leadership? So for me on leadership, it, I had started out in sales, medical sales and others. And of course, <laughs> it's not the greatest criteria for leadership, but if you have really good sales results, what do they do? Mm. They promote you to run a sales team. So yeah. that's exactly what happened. I, I feel so sorry for the first team I probably led because I was probably not a very good leader. Maybe if you were my friend, I was a good friend in the, in leadership, but I didn't know the first thing about what I was doing. And for women, often we, we take charge by force a little bit because that's what we've been taught along the way. And it doesn't work. It really mm. doesn't work. It took me, you know, years of kind of thinking about, I don't like the way this feels that I kind of changed my style and adapted along the way, but I was very, still very successful. So. If you, if you, if you're successful by hook or by crook, they keep promoting you and you keep getting more and more responsibility. And yet somewhere, somewhere you have to hope that that person in leadership has self-awareness to figure out that they need to evolve themselves. And, and I'm a work in progress to this day. Yeah. And I think we all are. I mean, that's, that's the thing we are learning all the time, but it's interesting how they, they look for somebody who does really well. And then they go, oh, we need a leader, leader. And they look around. Oh, Sure do. Great. Congratulations. Good luck. See you in 12 months time, your performance review. And for some of them, they struggle. They don't, they've had not had that development in the, in the past to bring them up through the ranks or even just give them some development full stop, which is always sometimes a little bit hard. Now I see also I have, I, that you're uh, with your husband a little bit interested in boating and fishing. I do. I think everybody's got to be balanced, right? You can't be all work and no play. So I do like to boat. I like to do deep sea fishing. I'm not afraid to touch the muck, as they would say, and bait my own hooks and the rest of it. So I do everything from like small fishing for fluke, flounder, to let's go out shark fishing and you name it. I'll do a little bit of everything. Well, you need to come to New Zealand. There's just the land where well, there's so much fishing around here. You need to come one day. I do. I can't wait to come to New Zealand. Mm. I look forward to it. We, we need to do some clinical trials there so I can go, go with the company too and, and, and help. I know you had your borders locked, locked for a long point in time, but now things are opening up and I can travel again. Jason, great to have you here. Big welcome to you. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me, Dennis. Excellent. Now, Jason, whereabouts in the world are you today? I am in Denver, Colorado. Mm. And have you always been in Denver? I haven't. So I've been in Denver nearly the last 11 years. I'm a native fifth generation Texan and was in Dallas prior to being here. And I have to say back home, I think it's about 98 degrees today, Fahrenheit and here in Denver, it's a a lovely 75 degrees and sunny. So it's the perfect fall weather. Yeah. Excellent. So you're in fall, we're in spring in this part of the world. And so we're going in the, we actually, this weekend we go tomorrow, we're going to daylight saving. So we're going, as we're going towards our summer, but Dallas, I love that area in the sense that I used to go there a lot with, of course, EDS and then HP days as well and just a tremendous place and when they actually talked to me about moving to the us a few times and uh, it was either going to be in the bay area of course with hp but in the days of eds it was like being in palo alto that area sorry probably in plano and that area and in, in dallas and i was like oh they said where do you want to live i went to texas and they went what i went yeah i want to go in texas <laughs> i love it and yeah it's a, it's a great place to be yeah it is a good place mm. now we're going to be t- asking you a whole lot of questions today but before we go there tell us a little bit more about your background so my background, long story short, is I had a, a career in heavy highway road construction and 
real estate and real estate support services for a long time. Um, when 2008 happened, that changed the world and lives of so many people. And I was one of those people that was also affected by that. And through the course of the next several years, you know, really went through a dark night of the soul that kind of led me to do the work that I'm doing. And from that experience morphed into doing mental health supportive work. In the very beginning, I, I will lovingly call it a, a breakthrough now, but I had what is known as a breakdown. And from doing so, really, you know, had the good fortune of being able to decide what I wanted to do for my future, moving on and rebuilding my life. So the, the foundation that I have today is really built upon, you know, some of the darkest times of my life, but it has been related to mental health and supporting those who struggle with mental health. So currently I wear a couple of hats. I am the president and CEO of the National Alliance on Mental Illness for NAMI for Rapaho and Douglas counties, which is the largest affiliate in the state of Colorado. So we offer education, support, and outreach services for people struggling with chronic or persistent mental illness. And then I also have a, an organization that I'm the founder and president of called Connection Project. And Connection Project, in its essence, was designed to simply strengthen and deepen connection to ourselves and others. What that looks like, tactically speaking, is we build social impact campaigns that connect vulnerable or marginalized communities to um, resources and support resources specifically that they can utilize in times of struggle and or crisis. And, you know, with what we've all been through in the last couple of years, we just see those needs continuing to evolve and expand. And so our work, while I have done much so far, I feel like we've just scratched the surface and, you know, have miles to go and how we, we better show up to support people who are struggling. Fantastic. This is the reason, listener, why listeners, why I got Jason to, to be on the show today is because from the work that you've been doing, Jason, I, I think it's very important, but I think it's very special as well, the, the work that you and the, and the organization is doing. And that's why I wanted to talk about this, this topic in relation to leadership and where we're going with the mental health side of things as well, because I don't know about you, but the way I'm looking at things that, and even with the pandemic that we've gone through, one was the pandemic, but I think there's another pandemic and that's the mental health side of things whereby you know, people are going through all sorts of things. So first of all, I want to say to you, thank you for all the work that you're doing around that, the mental awareness, the mental health side of things. I think it's so, so important and we just needed more. I don't know if you know, but in New Zealand, we have one of the highest suicide, suicide rates in the world. And if not, yeah, if not number one, and it's, it's really sad to see. So cool. So we're going to get into some conversations here and that. Is there anything else in the background you want to share? Any, any other passions and hobbies and things that you do? You know, I, I'm a pretty engaged guy. I like to engage my creativities as much as I can. I'm an artist. Mm. I like to paint. I love to garden. I really just like to be able to be out in nature, clear my mind and, you know, give myself an opportunity to reset, to do what can often be tremendously hard work and unpacking people's stories and the things that they struggle with. But I think it's all interconnected. And frankly, me taking care of me is as important as me taking care of other people. Excellent. Yep. Good point. Now, Jason, how did you get into leadership? So, you know, I guess in retrospect, I've always been in leadership in some capacity. I've always been an entrepreneur, you would say. I worked in a, a family road construction business for many years. And in that capacity, I oversaw the work in our subsidiary companies and always had quite a few direct reports under me. And just, I think one thing stacked upon the other. I, I think I was, was born a natural leader. I was, you know, a president of honor society in college or, you know, different clubs and stuff. I just always have aspired to, you know, how can we take something that exists and how can we collaborate with other people to make it better, grow it, expand it, whatever, whatever the results or outcome we're seeking. 
I like to be in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Very good. And tell me something, the leadership that you have today, how, how big is the organizations from either the Connection Project or from the mental, side, mental health side of things? How big is your organization? That- That's a great question. So NAMI specifically, like I said, I lead the largest affiliate in the state of Colorado. NAMI is a national organization and then has state representation in every state. But the actual work to support, you know, the humans that are struggling actually happens at an affiliate level. So the counties that I lead are comprised of roughly a million people. Wow. So if you take the statistics of one in four, if that's what you subscribe to, you know, we have the reach and capacity to support, you know, a quarter of a million people. Most of my work is really done through community outreach and networking, and it is supported by, I have a wonderful team that is a group of contractors and employees who help support me, you know, with the various projects we have. But really, you know, as far as reach and capacity, we build, you know, digital campaigns, social impact campaigns that have the ability to scale and reach millions of people and have had considerable success doing that in either organization. Mm -hmm. That one in four stats, is that stats that are in the U.S. or is that around the world? That is, that is what I know is U.S. stats. I don't actually know what around the world stats are. That would be something good to look at. I venture to guess it's probably at least that, if not more so. Mm. That, that's really what's reported and what we know. Again, I think the pandemic really changed a lot of things. And, and with mental health specifically, what it did is it, it gave people an opportunity to talk about things that they're struggling with. And you'll notice... I use that word struggle a lot. In fact, my connection project tagline is everyone struggles. And, and really, I have chosen that intentionally to get above the fray of just talking about mental health, because I think the fact of the matter is, is we all go things through things in life, you know, transitions, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, pet, relationship, you name it, that we maybe don't show up in the best way that we want to. And there are things that can be a setback for us, and I don't think they necessarily imply that you have a mental illness or have sustained poor mental health. But I think we have to change the lens of how we invite people to talk about things that they're going through. And frankly, the current system, at least here in the United States, always kind of begins and ends with scary, sad, and traumatic stories. And frankly, I think we can do better. I don't think we have to share you know, our, our most painful points of life from this sad, scary, traumatic place. It can just be an experience that we're going through and we want to be able to have people in places to unpack that and heal from. So if, the, if leaders are feeling or going through things, because I, I think sometimes it sort of creeps up from behind and it doesn't sort of, you wake up one morning and go, yeah, there's a mental health issue here or there's something going on for you. It sort of creeps up. And I think for a lot of people, they don't know where to go, what to do, or even to recognize it. Where do you think they should go? I mean, every country is going to be different. Of course, the listeners here are global, so they're all going to be they're going to be different organisations within their countries and that. But is there any you know things that they should be aware of, or they should be looking out for for themselves, or even for their employees as well? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And there's a there's a couple of things that I look at there. You know, the reality is is you know for most people, when you start talking about mental health, the blinds come down for many people. So until it hits your home you don't really know what the resources are. And I don't think it's something that people just seek out to learn about just because. You know, I can use my own personal experience as an example. I mean, I'm educated, successful, resourced, supportive family. You know, and when I went through my dark night of the soul, I literally had no idea about where to begin. And it was actually my mom doing some research and finding NAMI. And she and my dad did a course to support family members and loved ones. 
And then I joined a support group and then sort of moved up to now being the president and CEO in that organization over the, the last decade. You know, I, I think the, the internet is a, a wonderful resource or place to start, but I think it, it begins with first recognizing you are not alone. You know, I think so many of us, especially as leaders or entrepreneurs, we ascend in our careers and we think that, gosh, it's kind of the world against us. And from that perspective, you can really put yourself into a trap um, of recognizing that there are other people right where you are who absolutely will understand what you're going through. So, you know, if, if you can get past the, the reality that you're not alone and you can, you know, open the door and, and, you know, even attempt to look for some help to support yourselves, I think that's a starting point. What I will say that I know is nothing that we are ashamed of can live in the light. And, you know, a, a lot of times I think from that, you, that we are alone perspective, many people suffer far longer than they have to just because they're unwilling to, to crack the door and take a look. So, you know, that's kind of first step. Second step, finding resources. I think it's important to look at what are the specific resources that are available to you and, and to have a, an open mind around what are the steps you're willing to take. I mean, you know, traditional mental health systems assume that you might see a therapist, that you might take meds, and if God forbid something's bad enough, you might be in a treatment facility. I don't think everybody starts there. I, I don't think most people end up there after steps two or three, usually. But I think you have to have an open mind. Well, what are you willing to do? From, from my perspective, in, in some of the darkest times, I think things that we can start with, getting 15 minutes of sun on your head, taking a walk around the block. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you drinking enough water? Have you taken a chance to write down three things that you're grateful for? Because even in our darkest moments, we can find things to be grateful for. Those to me are kind of the self-empowerment tools that become the foundation for taking the next right steps to support yourself if you really you know, need some additional interventions. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.